Amen. You just heard the reading of God's word read out loud. Uh, this past week, we have wrapped up our series in the book of Revelation, the last two chapters of it. I hope our eyes are more fixed on what Jesus has done and what he will do when he comes back. In the meantime, till he returns or calls us home, we have a life to live. And then our, the way we need to conduct our lifestyle should be informed by the word of God. And with the time that we are in, in this world and also as a nation, we thought the book of Jonah would be a wonderful book as a church to walk through together for the fall. So why Jonah, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's a million-dollar question. Hope you will find that out as you dive into the book. But before we do that, let me set a tone here. Perhaps one of the greatest dangers of jumping into such familiar book like Jonah is this. I'll say it in a moment. Yes, Jonah is one of the most familiar book. You hear it. Oh, there's this prophet of God, disobeys, go to the sea, well, thrown out into the ocean. He gets into the fish belly. Fish pukes him out and then goes to reluctantly, goes to preach, and people repent, and Jonah gets mad. Well, we heard a story. Or also, Book of Jonah is perhaps one of the most cinematic books of the Bible. When I say cinematics, you can picture it, right? I mean, I like to read, when I read the scripture, I like to get going with my imagination. And you can almost imagine the plot. You can see Jonah in a belly and what it looks like and etc. This book, uh, teenagers, if I may borrow your language, this is like epic. You might call me 2017, but this is very as epic as you can get. It's a huge book. But one of the great dangers of jumping in such a familiar, such a cinematic book is this, that sometimes that's all we see. All we see is fish and Jonah, and we neglect to dive in deeper and deal with the heart issue behind the picture, behind the surface. So I ask you and ask myself that we dive in with fresh eyes because I just want to warn you in advance, this is not a pretty book. You will soon find out that it's going to get escalated very quickly. And it deals very deep about my own heart. And spoiler alert, Jonah is not a positive figure. And church, who are you? I hope you walk away saying, I am Jonah. God forgive me. I need to repent. There are many times that as I was preparing sermon myself, I'm like, man, I cannot do this. There's way too much within me. I see myself in it. So fasten your seatbelt, that being said. Let's dive in right away. We heard the word of God read out loud. So three things that the text will ask us today. First, it will ask us, who's Jonah? And second, what's his mission? And third, what's his response and its consequence? So we'll dive in and study those three things. Who's Jonah? What's his mission? And what's his response and its consequence? First, who is Jonah? Read verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Oh, that's all you get? Yeah, actually, that's all we get. We jump right in. Well, 
It doesn't tell us that much about who Jonah is right in this text. But there's one other text that will tell us more about who Jonah is. That is 2 Kings 14, 23 to 25. Jonah was a prophet ministered during the time of King Jeroboam II. And Jeroboam was one of the worst kings of Israel. He was so wicked and bad. Nonetheless, what Jonah's prophecy was, oh, God's going to make you great. We are going to enlarge our territory. We are going to be a great nation. Everything will be awesome. And in one sense, yes, Israel became more greater in that time. But unlike Amos or Hosea, who was contemporary of Jonah, Amos and Hosea will speak against Jeroboam. We got to repent. This is terrible. Jonah didn't mention a thing about it. Only thing he says, God's going to make us great. He's going to make us great country. Enlarge our borders. Restore what is lost. God bless Israel. That's all you get. One commentator puts it this way. Douglas Stewart says, One may wonder whether Jonah was more, not more or less a loyalist prophet in Israel. God appears to have chosen a nationalistic northern prophet who adopted no critical stand toward the policies and practices. Jeroboam was a wicked king. Amos and Hosea will speak against it. Jonah says nothing about it whatsoever. That's the character that we learn about it. Jonah didn't say anything about injustices, anything about discrimination, anything about the false worship that was happening in Jeroboam, but only said, God is going to bless us. That's the kind of characteristic nationalistic prophet we see as you dive in into the book of Jonah. Second, what is his mission? Read verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. Now, what is Nineveh? We just talked about how bad Israel was under the King Jeroboam II. Nineveh, I'm not trying to say lesser of two evils. They were bad. I mean, bad. See, Nineveh was Assyria, the capital city of Assyria, and it had five times more population as Jerusalem. It was a massive city, and it was known for its military prowess and known for its brutality. If you read any historical record, uh, their brutality and gruesomeness that this country conducted is just unbelievable. If I may put that in 21st language, this was a terrorist state. It really was. Absolutely horrific nation. Now, uh, one of the worst King Jeroboam and there's nationalistic prophet Jonah, one bed to another bed, is Jonah going to be excited to go over there to this great city? Let's going to take a look at it. What is his response? Read verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship to bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went abroad and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah didn't care a bit about the mission that God has given him. He, what does he say? He fled. He ran away from the Lord. Now, we don't really get the exact reason why he does that, except when you go to chapter 4 and 2, chapter 4, 2, it will tell us the exact reason why Jonah fled. This is what Jonah says in 4, 2. 
oh Lord, the God forgives Ninevite, and after God forgives Ninevite, this is what Jonah says. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. In other words, Jonah did not want God to forgive them. Both are very wicked country, wicked time. Jonah is completely oblivious to his own flaws, his own nation. And God killed them, decimate them, destroy them. They are horrific. So while God sends to God, while God sends Jonah to Nineveh, while God sends Jonah to northeast, Jonah fled to Tarshish. Tarshish is, in a sense, modern-day Spain, and that was the utmost west that was known at the time. While God is sending Jonah to northeast, uh-uh, I'm not going. Going all the way opposite direction completely. Why did he do that? Why Jonah was like, God, don't forgive them, kill them, decimate them, destroy them? Well, in the end of Jonah's root of it all was his self-righteousness. Jonah was completely oblivious of Israel's wickedness, what was happening, but God killed them. These are far worse than me. Kill them. While Jonah was oblivious, unlike prophet Hosea and Amos, who prophesied against their wickedness, Jonah mentioned not a thing about it, and just they killed them, decimated. All they deserve is curse. God bless Israel. God curse Syria. Decimate them. Kill them. Now, in 21st century term, we have this thing called othering. You know what othering is? According to Macmillan Dictionary, it puts it this way. Treating people from another group as essentially different from and generally inferior to the group you belong to. You see, they are maybe both bad and you are saying, oh, I'm fine. God bless us. We are great. Kill them. Crucify them. Just bring destruction upon them. It's very easy to read this text, church, and say, oh, that's what's happening in the world. Jin, what is othering? Oh, yeah, that's exactly what the political parties do, right? Uh, one party thinks the other party is the worst. The other party thinks the others are worst. These are terrible things. You consider them as inferior. All of them is just bad. That's often what we witness in the world. But let me dial it back. What about among us today, church? Have you othered those who may be different? They deserve God's grace too. We all do. But as soon as we find out how somebody might have a different lifestyle, you're like, oh, man, uh, uh, uh. you other them. You also distance them. Oh, yeah, they are. Mm-mm. God destroy them. They don't know any better. The root of othering is self-righteousness, thinking we are better, we are right of it all. Church, how are we doing with that? See, as soon as we find out someone who's a different lifestyle, who hold a different view. We treat them as if they're completely wrong. And then it's very easy for us, for me to think right now, uh-uh, he needs theory right now. Oh man, she needs this right now. I need it. I am Jonah. You need it. Oh, you are Jonah. See, what do we do? We, as soon as we find out how they live, what they believe, we put them as a one-dimensional cartoon, cartoon character. All of a sudden, they are defined by what it is. And we completely other them. 
But who wants to be treated as a one-dimensional being? I'm a complex being. I am more than just what you perceived to be. But we initially caricature them, or that's who they are. We other one another. Folks, this happens in this nation, and this happens very much in God's house too. And I need to repent, and we need to repent. What's one of the antidote to fight against that, especially within the church? Church, yes, Jesus loved you. Yes, Jesus died for you. But Jesus died for him too. Jesus died for her too. They are that much lovable in the sight of the Lord that Jesus pursued them to death. Where is the root of all othering? It's our own self-righteousness thinking I am so much better. Jonah's like, I'm not going. They're terrible. Oh, God, we are great. Is that our attitude today sometimes? Let us repent. I don't know what else to call it, but sin. The sin of self-superiority, sin of self-righteousness. How are you doing with that? I am Jonah. Read verse 4, the consequence of his response. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Now, this storm was different than a typical physical storm. There's spiritual implication. This was caused by Jonah's disobedience. So Jonah did not go to Nineveh as God commanded him. Do you know what's fascinating about that? Jonah disobeyed God not because he was afraid of his failure. Jonah disobeyed God because Jonah was afraid of success. Jonah did not want God to forgive them. God's own prophet is like, don't forgive them, kill them. Complete disobedience resulted in this incredible storm. His sin led this storm. Church, whether we see it or not, sin has a storm cloud attached to it. And it will hurt the one who's nearest to us. Only the fools think our sins, there is such thing as private sins and public sins. Here, Jonah's disobedience caused great risk of these sailors. Your sin will hurt those one who are the closest proximity as where you are. Whether it be physical proximity, emotional proximity. You think, oh yeah, man, I struggle with the pride, but it's just me and God. It's not a big deal. No, the closest one will notice that you have that issue and they'll be deeply hurt and affected by that. There's no such thing as a sin that you will never find out. Proverbs will talk a lot about that. Then no, there's no such thing as that. Your sin will find you out. My sin will find out. Here, Jonah's sin brought us this incredible storm. Second question we must ask when the storm is, ro- storm is rising in this ocean is, church, how are we running away from God? There are two ways to run from God. In Jonah's chapter 1, Jonah ran away from God through what? Through really disobedience, through licentiousness. He just says, God, I'm not going. You tell me to go. I don't want to go. But Jonah 1 and Jonah 3 is, in a sense, plot 1 and plot 2. It has exactly the same structure. There's Jonah. There's the mission of God to Jonah. And then there's Jonah's response in 1 and 3. And then here is the consequence of it. In chapter 1, Jonah's response to God is like, no, I am not going. That's how he runs away from God. Chapter 3, yes, Jonah obeys God. 
But in a sense, it really was a counterfeit of obedience. Jonah goes to, with a mission of preach to Nineveh, but as soon as they repent, I knew it. God, why did you do that? I wanted you to kill them. Jonah obeyed. External conformity was there, but without any heart change. In other words, we can do all the right things, yet still run far away from God. Are you running away from God through your immorality, a licentious lifestyle? If so, repent. May I repent. We need to be drawn near to God. Our sins will find out. But you can also be just as lost by being utterly good too. Who is the best example of that? Pharisees. They had all the external conformity that they needed to, but their heart was farthest away from God. And as a church, perhaps you are more like Jonah 3, Jonah's chapter 3. We say, oh, look at me, God. I am here at the church this morning. I'm not at the Vegas today. I'm doing all the right things. But where is our heart at? Sometimes my heart is so ugly that I say, oh, I'm right. I'm the king of my own heart. There's sin of self-righteousness. I'm doing all the right things while my heart may be furthest from God. Chilton, one of my biggest prayer as a pastor for my personal life is this, that my, may my giftedness never exceed my character. What I mean by that, because there's a gift, God gives gift, so I may be able to preach the word thinking, oh wow, look at me, I'm preaching the word. God's people are getting saved and edified. God must be very pleased with me while my heart could be furthest from God at the same time. In other words, you can do all the right things, yet your heart still can be filled with self-supremacy. Your heart can tell you you are your own savior. Both ways, you're desperately trying to save yourself by running away from God or by running toward what it seems to be right, but with just external conformity without any heart commitment. Where is your heart today, church? Well, when I read it, I'm like, God, I am Jonah. I am wicked. Tim Keller once said, an ounce of sin can cause us greater harm than a ton of suffering. Have you taken your sin seriously? Have I taken my own sin seriously? And our response always ought to be, God, forgive us. I am sorry. I'm sorry will go a long way. To God and to your loved one, they see you. They might not be able to articulate exactly why they feel uneasy about you, but your sin, they know it. They might not be able to articulate it, and it can cause us great harm. Read verse 5 to 8. As you read, as you keep going, I want you to notice the incredible contrast that you're about to see. God's prophet should know better, and these pagan sailors should not know better at all. But let me read it, and we're going to contrast between the two. Verse 5, all the way through 8. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, 
tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? For what purpose? What people are you? Now, notice this very carefully. Jonah, a prophet of God, people of God, is physically asleep. He's passed out. Here, pagan sailor, they are physically alert. They are awake. Here, Jonah, who should know better, is pursuing his own comfort. I'm tired. Pagan sailor, they are seeking common good. There is crisis. We need to do something about it. Here, Jonah, if you look at it, Jonah doesn't seek God. What does verse 5 say? It is pagan sailors seeking their own God, whoever they be. And while Jonah is completely asleep, he has the God of Israel, the truth, but he's completely out. He doesn't even seek God while the pagan sailors are seeking after their own God. Here, Jonah is spiritually asleep. He has no idea how his disobedience has brought this storm. While these pagans are spiritually alert, verse 7, they said, we need to find out who is responsible. In other words, they are aware that this is not just a regular storm. Somebody, they know it has spiritual implication to it. Jonah doesn't care a bit about it. He just take very passive seats. It is the pagan. Where are you from? What God do you serve? What do you do? What happened? I hope this humbles us. God always tended to use so many times, if you read the Bible, tended to use the foolish to shame the wise. We often think, I got the answer. But in the end, while Jonah was seeking the will of self, here the pagans are seeking the will of God. They are considering, who, what kind of God do you serve? Next week, Pastor Bill will walk through this after passage. These pagans come to worship the God of Israel while Jonah is still filled with self-righteousness. What do you seek after today? I think I often seek myself, my own comfort, my own opinion as superior than others. Yet we need to repent. Oftentimes we are asleep. Awake, church. Awake. Let us repent from our sin of self-righteousness and pride. Read verse 9 and 10. He answered, I am Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Now, here Jonah Festa, who he is, right? I am Hebrew, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. But notice this, he says all the right things. What Jonah says is incredible. But his confessional theology does not match his functional theology. In other words, what he say on his lip does not manifest in his life at all. Here, Jonah seems to be through his lips really aware that God is powerful. He's the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. If he knows that, he should know better that his sin will bring consequences. And he should have been terrified. He should fear God if he knows that God is this powerful. But it is not Jonah who is terrified. What does verse say, 10 says? It is pagan. This terrified them. Jonah still while he says all the nice things through his lips, his life did not match. His confessional theology did not match anything of his functional theology, the way that he conducted his life. What about us? 
I told you this is going to get escalated quickly. I feel like I'm just like banging one after one. Repent, church. Oftentimes, we say all the nice things. I, I know how to say all the nice things. Do my life truly match what we say? There's huge disconnect here in Jonah because how it operates in his life. He, doesn't, he should have been fearful. God, I fear you. This is what I am. I need to repent before you. But it is the pagan who is terrified here. There is disconnect in his life. Now, where is hope in that? In the end, the pagan, it is pagan who asks Jonah, what have you done? Pagan asked because they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Pagan feared God of Israel more than Jonah did. What have you done? That question of what have you done, I should have asked that. Jonah should have asked that. What have I done? But it is Pagan who asked Jonah, what have you done? Jonah should have asked, what have I done, O God? I repent, woe is unto me, but it is the pagan who asks in that. Where are you? Where are you, church? Perhaps as you heard this sermon, you thought, oh, man, he needs it. Oh, she needs it. She needs to humble himself. Oh, those who hold different lifestyle, they need to hear it. No, I need to hear it. You need to hear it. I am Jonah, and you are Jonah too. In church, there is no such thing as othering. And in the world, we should be the people of God goes out with grace and compassion rather than condemnation. You deserve destruction, or so do we. Church, when you examine your heart, when you see self-righteousness within you, how do you deal with that? Ask yourself, what have I done? But as you ask that question, each time ask that question, also remember Jesus. Jesus asked that same question for you. Here, you will soon find out that Jonah will be thrown into the sea in next chapter. And next week, Pastor Bill will walk through the second half of one. Jonah is thrown into the sea, but God rescues him. Cross of Jesus Christ. He was thrown into the sea, but God does not rescue him. Jesus descended into hell. While God rescued Jonah, he did not rescue himself. And through that, through his death on the cross, Jesus is asking us, what have I done for you? Examine yourself. What have I done? Woe is unto me. As you do that, take 20 look at the cross of Jesus Christ. When he cried out, it is finished. And now, Jen, what have I done for you? Look to me. That's the only way that we can fight against our own self-righteousness. Apart from that, when you just examine your heart without Jesus, all we feel is guilt. Now, hopefully I did a good job guilting you. But that guilt, there's no hope in that. We need to go beyond that. We need to look to Jesus Christ and who cried out, what have I done for you, Jen? There is forgiveness available for you. Now, no longer reign in your heart with your own self-righteousness. Look to my righteousness that is imputed in you. Do you know Jesus who died and bled on the cross for you? Then the people of God's response should be repentance and humility. Let us pray together.
Oh God, there are many times that as I was just studying this book that my arrogance found me. I often think I'm right. I often think that they are wrong. God, often I want not quite destruction, but I sure do want judgment. I want vindication rather than asking for grace for those who are different than me. Oh God, help us to repent. And oh God, when there's so much division in the world, we grieve that there is sometimes division within God's own house as well. Help us to not other one another today. Yet rather than othering, help us to humanizing. We are human. We are complex beings. You loved us enough to pursue us and die for us. So help us to truly understand and love one another well. And, oh God, as you look through the book of Jonah, I pray that you will reveal yourself to us. Uh, there are too many self-righteousness, too many superiority complex. But, oh God, more and more we look at Jonah and more and more we look at our own hearts. Help us to look to the heart of you who forgave us, who redeemed us, apart from that we find no hope. So we say, praise be to God who died for us, who bled for us. So worthy is your name, O Jesus. Worthy is honor. May your honor continually go forth and may we continually repent. In your precious name we pray, amen.